It's incredible the amount of dumb fucking mistakes that we make as gym owners that were so avoidable, so avoidable if you would have just had a little bit more education on the topic versus flying from the seat of your pants or going to some Facebook owners group asking the question or making an assumption based on someone other gym's Instagram that you saw and you're like, I think that's how they do it. I'm going to do it like that. Guys, your business IQ right? You, the intelligence you have around making business decisions and how this industry works is 100% the variable of success in this industry. It is not hard work anymore. You cannot just do hard work. Hard work alone, you're fucked. Now, if you take hard work and you combine it with smart work, that is where the sky is the limit. This is why I created Microgym University back in 2018. I wanted to create an online business school where you guys literally can browse through it like Netflix and look for the topics that are pertinent to you in your business right now. You do not have to follow modules in any certain order or do anything based on a specific system. You're able to go and see the tactics and playbooks that are used by some of the best brands in the fitness industry that I have the luxury of traveling around the country and seeing and interviewing the C. CEOs and know how these pieces come together. And I've gone ahead and put all this information available for you inside of Microgym University and it costs 50 fucking dollars, 50 goddamn dollars per month. And you have access to an unlimited, I think we're up to over a hundred hours of business courses right now. Okay. MGU is the only online business school for Microgym owners. You can get in there in one month, consume all the content, take the notes, download the slides and fucking cancel for all I care. All I want is microgym owners making smarter decisions. Guys, www.microgymuniversity.com. There's also a link in the show notes of this episode. Please invest in yourself, invest in, in your business IQ, and let's start doing hard work smart. What is up, guys? It is Stu, and this is another episode of the What the Fuck Gym Talk podcast. We'll be talking a little gym real estate today, and I've got my man, Matthew Becker, with Gym Lawyers, uh, who is currently in, you were just saying, uh, San Jose? San Jose. That's San right. Jose. I was going to say good morning to you, but it's not. It's good afternoon to you. Yeah, it's good. What, why'd you make the switch over there? Like, why go from PA over to San Jose? Uh, I just have an opportunity to travel. Yep. And with gym lawyers being completely virtual, yep. um, I'm just, I'm jumping on the opportunity. I'm, I'm out of my gym completely. I've got a manager who's running it day to day. Yeah. So I'm going to take the opportunity to travel. There's uh there's this thing that when you go over there, San Jose, anywhere on the West coast in California, you're just like this weather. I mean, especially you being from PA and me being from Cleveland, yeah, like, yeah, right. I'm like, my God, I mean, take the taxes and the politics out of it. You can't, you cannot <laughs> argue the weather these people have. over there. Nope. Nope. I've been here for six weeks and the weather has been nothing but blue sky. Yeah. Uh, literally nothing. I'm not exaggerating. It's the same thing every day. Every it warms day. up to about 85 degrees and it cools down to a little bit like around 55 degrees. I was listening to two buddies, one of them in Cleveland, Ohio, one of them in um, like around Santa Cruz, California, talk about scheduling that both their daughters are graduating from high school, having to schedule okay. a graduation party. Cleveland, Ohio guy <laughs> has got to like whip out the almanac and figure out what date is least likely to have shit weather in my godforsaken state. And this, in my, the Santa Cruz clients are like, yeah, whenever. I don't know. We can just do it yeah, whenever right. we want. <laughs> whenever. It's going to be the same thing tomorrow as it was today. Absolutely. <laughs> so. 
but um, <laughs> I'm glad I got you on here, man. You, we've we've jammed in the past on the podcast, and then um, our our paths have, have crossed a little bit uh, more here recently. When I kicked off the Jim Real Estate Company, and I reached out to you, I right. said, "Hey, I'm gonna. It's inevitable. I'm gonna have clients that are gonna need to make amendments or addendums to a lease." or maybe a purchase agreement. And uh, that is outside. I'm not allowed to write any legal language. Um, so I'm not going to, but uh, I, I would love for you to be able to help them in that regard. Would you do me a favor and just break this down for everybody? Yeah. In terms of a lease or maybe the PSA, like a purchase uh, sales mm -hmm. agreement, what is an amendment to those documents versus an addendum? Okay. So an amendment, let's let's just use the commercial lease because that's probably one that the majority of the people are going to be a little bit more familiar with than like a purchase agreement. But um, okay. So somebody sends me over a commercial lease. I look at it and we look at something like um, the permitted use section of a commercial lease. Okay. Very common. Uh, gym wise, we want to be as clear and as open with the landlord as possible. Uh, about what we're going to do so that when we get into the space and we start causing a whole bunch of noise, the landlord doesn't come back and say, hey, all your neighbors are complaining. You have to stop making all that noise. And then we got all kinds of problems. So an amendment would be the landlord sends the prospective lease over to the client and says, permitted use is a fitness center. Okay. An amendment to that would be to write back and suggest something like writing in a fitness center known to cause noise, play loud music, and use the area surrounding the premises as part of its services, i.e. running in the parking lot. Um, so that would, be a, that would be an idea of an amendment, is we're just taking the lease that's already there, and we're just adding things, removing things right into the structure itself. Uh, when you say addendum, my mind goes to things that we're adding to the lease in its current form. So often this would be like a page or something that would be attached at the end of the lease. We might like have exhibit like a, a. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and that's going to be something that we want to add to the lease that is not already covered within the lease. So an example of this might be um, discussing like noise, exactly what are we going to do with noise? Okay. So my typical uh, advice to the, to the gym owner is, don't don't go in offering a decibel level on on your noise. Okay, if the landlord puts that in there, it, you know puts puts decibel restrictions within the lease. Well, then we're gonna that's gonna be part of our amendments. We're gonna start to negotiate that. There's been a couple times where the landlord is very clear and knows exactly that this is going to cause noise, but has expressed some concerns about how much noise it's gonna cause. So we may be proactive in an instance like that and add an addendum to the lease saying the gym is permitted to um, produce noise up to 90 decimals being measured in the center of the neighboring premises. Okay, so we may add a little bit extra language to the lease in order to be more specific, take control of that and add that in, in order to help protect the gym owner. And, and that's when I want to, so that's when I constantly... I mean, I have gym owners when we're when like, go buy a decibel meter and uh, even vibration as well. But mm -hmm. I, I, I say the same thing. I'm like, we don't want to go ahead and lock ourselves. Like we're, you know, we're going to create 90. Um, what are your thoughts on the language of like, we're going to at least create and that we could potentially create 90 or more? Like how, how specific do you want to get with that language? Cause I don't want, I don't want to box the gym owner in the 90 and then, you know, whatever right. it's something they're at 98 or a hundred. And now we're in violation and in default of the lease, 
what do you recommend there from, is it a range or is it a, at least this amount um, to kind of like from that, if the landlord wants a specific number? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, that's why we typically don't recommend if we're just talking specifically about noise. um, That's why we typically don't recommend adding any language. If, If a gym owner says, well, I'm concerned about noise. It's like, well, look, we're going to put the the landlord on notice that you're going to make noise. We're not going to get anything more specific than that. Okay. But in the rare instances that it does come up, my experience is that a gym is not going to exceed 90 to 95 decibels. Okay. And if the building is of any kind of structure, even if you have concrete walls, and we're talking about a thousand plus square foot spaces, if you go to the center of the adjoining premises, you're not going to exceed 95 decibels. And everyone listening, so, 90, you might, you might exceed 90, 95 in the center of your own facility with barbells right. dry, like maybe, but you're certainly not doing it because we're talking about in reference to what the neighboring adjacent tenant would be experiencing. Theory. Right, right. And so, and so, you know, to put a cap on it like that, I'm not so concerned that they're going to exceed that as long as we take control of it being further away from that wall. If the, if the landlord pushes back and says, well, it needs to be right up against that wall, then what are we experiencing? Well, now we have a couple more concerns because now we have to understand sort of the structural integrity of that wall and, and really what is the, what are the limits? Or, you know, like what are the operators or the, the potentials? And that's where, you know, you're right in telling them, go grab a decibel meter, jack up that music and go next door and see what it, re- see what it even is. Um, because we don't want to say 80, 85, 90%. Um, now, point of reference, I went to a Metallica concert a couple of years ago, and I managed to sit behind like the, the control, the control desk or whatever it is. I was watching a Metallica concert hits hundred decibels. Okay. It maybe got up to like 110. So if you think you're running a Metallica concert in the gym, <laughs> maybe we need to be concerned about 95 to hundred decibels. Sure. It's unlikely that any of us are playing music that loud. I mean, I had like earplugs in, yeah, um, but because because it, it's it's so loud within a stadium like that. But that's that's your point of reference. Is like a Metallica concert hits hundred decibels. Um, in the case, so let's say you go and put a generic noise. You know, this tenant, you know, the fitness shoes that is known to create noise or some vibration, and it's left without a specific uh, metric attached to it. Does that open you up to if some let's say the the landlord comes back and goes hey you're violating the guy to the left and the right of you's right to quiet enjoyment there's an issue here mm-hmm. does that open you up to just the court or the magistrate or the judge's interpretation of what that means at that point or is it better like you know i had a lawyer tell me one time you know whenever you go to court it's about do you have the time Yes, it's two o'clock. No, no, no. That's not what they asked you. They asked you, do you have the time? Yes or no? Like yeah, sometimes yeah, too right. much information is actually going to kick you in the nuts in in a scenario if you ever have to go to court or in front of a magistrate or something to that degree. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's why um, it, it's kind of on a case-by-case basis uh, whether or not you know, our typical is to not put a decibel meter in there, but just make sure that we are very clear with the landlord of exactly what we're going to do. Now, I've, I, and, and I'll give you a recent example on, on why we went to the other way. Okay, so again, our standard is just, you're very clear, you're doing a gym, you're going to cause noise, we're going to put it in the lease that we're causing noise, and we're going to make amendments to the lease that 
asks the landlord to remove any restrictions about causing noise or annoyance to other people. You know, another one of those potential addendums that landlords, and I promise I'll get back to my point, but another addendum that landlords will often add to leases are rules of the premises. Mm-hmm. And one of those rules will be that the gym or the, the, the tenant, our client, agrees not to cause any noise or other annoyance to the surrounding premises. You can't sign it. I'm, I'm going to tell a gym owner, you can't sign as long as that rule is in there because you're going to violate it day one. So we'll remove all of that stuff or at least propose to the landlord that we remove that. And if the landlord says, no, I'm not going to remove that, then I tell the tenant, well, you need to get something in writing from the landlord then that says that you've asked, the landlord acknowledges what you're going to do, and the landlord says you won't violate this rule by doing what you're doing. Does the Um, landlord have to get anything in writing from the other neighboring tenants when they're bringing you in? Do they have to go back? Because I'm sure when they signed whatever boilerplate lease they did with those other neighboring tenants, it might just have a right to quiet enjoyment like many standard leases do. Do they need to go there and say, hey, you're getting a new neighbor. This is the noise they're going to make. Or is that all just on a lease by lease basis? And that landlord might put – I'm asking myself selfishly as a landlord now. Um, yeah. To, like do I need to go ahead then and let my other tenants know this guy is going to be rocking and rolling and maybe you know, and making noise? I think it's definitely good for from a landlord's perspective, from your perspective, I think it is good to go to the neighbors and let them know that this is going to happen. Um, from the gym owner's perspective, it's not the gym owner's duty. Sure. Um, so I just I just want to be clear for the listeners. We're not talking about something that the gym owner then needs to go to the landlord and make that suggestion. Um, it, that's more of an issue between you, the landlord, and that other tenant, because now you're going to be potentially violating their quiet enjoyment provision of their lease. So for you personally as the landlord, yes, it would be beneficial to just go and put everybody on notice from your perspective that the gym's coming in and is potentially going to cause noise. Yeah, but if the lease you sign with those tenants has some kind of provision that guarantees them the warrant, gives them the warranty of knowing that they're not going to have any interference or anything like that, now you've got your own you got to uncook something or unwind something or come to some kind of agreement with those tenants. It's it. So in multifamilies, especially in a lot of anyone who has, um, you know, growing cities where you're going to have a multifamily and apartment complex and bottom floor retail. Oh, that's, that's, that's a terrible idea. So whenever I have someone to like, I'm moving to Charlotte and I want a cheaper apartment, but I want to be in this area. And I'm like, here's what you yeah. do. You go in there and you ask for the units that are above the retail, like we're directly above them because that multifamily property management company knows they don't know what's going to go in. It's probably be a restaurant. You know, it could be a studio, a fitness studio, it could be whatever. I guarantee you those units have special unique things. Like you're going to, most people here that I talk to in Charlotte, they get a discount on their monthly rent for having those units because they're units. not guaranteeing them quiet, right to enjoyment, that kind of thing. Um, yep. And then like an orange theory goes in underneath and you're like, motherfucker. Well, I guess I just might as well join the gym because they're gonna wake me up at 5 a.m. in the morning anyway. So <laughs> but yeah, that's that's that is that is like in, in those instances, that's when we go to the uh to the gym owner and we're like, you gotta get real specific here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you got you, this landlord needs to know because those are the those are the big problems. You know, usually if we're like in a commercial space, you know, a commercial building, you may or may not have an issue. The other guys might be acceptance of some vibration or some noise or something. But when you get into a residential property like that, like that's that's big time. That's gonna be a big problem. Yeah. Um now I promised I would come back around to this recent instance in which 
you know, a, why would we ever suggest that the tenant go ahead and put decibel levels in there? Well, in this instance, the tenant was so specific, like as we suggested, the, the gym owner was so specific with the landlord that the landlord actually wrote back and sent them an article saying that, what was it like, eight plus hours of exposure to 90 plus decimals is bad for your hearing. Oh, wow. uh, and, and, and so in an instance like that, it's like, okay, the landlord is now almost on too much notice about sure. and has too much of an opinion about how much noise you're going to make. So now we are going to put something in the lease that says, and we're going to take control of that. And we're going to yeah. say, yeah, we're, we're going to put this limit of like 90, 95. And there's a, there's a, a, a code of federal regulation that talks about this as well. Exposure of, of, eight hours or more or six hours or more and sort of how the decibel levels can go up based on your, your less time of exposure. Um, so that's, that's an instance where we're going to go right back and we're going to go to the max of what the, the code of federal regulation says. And we're going to say 90 decibels, that's the limit being measured from the center of the adjoining property. Yeah. It's um, it's interesting too, because it's not just like, like you said, it's not just commercial to commercial with your neighboring tenants, it's not always, and it's not that unique um, multifamily where you might have some apartments above. There's a lot of scenarios. The gym I go to right now, I think is going to find themselves in one. And there's um, that one really popular case. It was in, I believe I want to say it was uh, in New York, whatever it was. It was very popular where, you know, gym had to shut down, went to court, did the whole thing, but essentially it was residential units, homes mm -hmm. nearby the warehouse, mm -hmm. the gym, and, right. and, and that whole thing. So the, the gym, um, they own the land and they own the building. They built it. There was nothing cool around there. And now literally, I mean, we're talking 20, 30 feet from the bay doors that are open. There are now brand new townhomes, brand new. Yeah. And so, you know, I was talking shop with them. I was like, guys, what, what are you going to do about that? Because at 5 a.m. in the morning, when these bay doors are open and music's clanging and banging, you're probably in a noise <laughs> violation just based on city, like municipality jurisdiction, like what noise violations is during what period of time and stuff like that. Right. And um, but yeah, what have you have you encountered any of those scenarios where it's it's a neighbor, it's it's somebody with a home, a domicile within an earshot of the gym claiming noise violation nuisance that kind of thing um i think that there's been two instances in which i've been involved with or I've, i'm not i haven't been involved i'm aware of it one is i think the case that you're talking about i think the gym owners actually won that case if i recall yeah um, there, there's I two i feel they, like there's one that they didn't and there's one that they did and i'm trying okay. i was actually trying to find I got the article somewhere here but um yeah i remember reading that article and i think they actually they, they went like all the way up in court and ended up winning it yeah um now they there used to be a gym in, or there was a, there is a gym in pittsburgh that had this issue come up man, like a decade ago um and they just decided to move uh they they decided that that at the end of the day, the cost-benefit analysis of going through the issues uh, with the landlord and with the surrounding um, residential and everything else, it wasn't worth it. Um, if a gym owner brings this to me and they make clear that their commercial property is is but, uh, butted right up against residential property, like in the instance in which you're describing, the first thing I'm going to tell the gym owner is we've got to go to the local ordinances and zoning and that may be something that I would get involved in. That might be something where I 
I instantly find somebody local because ordinances and zoning, that's, that's like a completely like nuanced area. A lot of line. nuances. <laughs> yeah. City to city. And it, it's so annoying to try to figure out what, what, like what zone actually applies to this area. And then what are the restrictions and all that? And, and that's, that's a specialty, a legal specialty in and of itself. So I'll oftentimes turn to local council um, to look up noise ordinances just to figure out what are the issues, what are the potential issues going to be? Um, you know, is this, is this actually zoned commercial? Is this actually zoned residential, especially if they're building there? You know, ideally somebody has got the permits already to say that they can build commercial here, but I've even had gym owners call where that's not the case. They find out like five years after moving in that this area actually wasn't zoned commercial and now it becomes a problem. Um, got it, yeah. So. You know, the, the, I guess the, the moral of the story is, it, you know, it, it's hard to give definitive answers because it's also fact specific. But sure. moral of the story is, you know, the, it, when the gym owner is considering something like this, they need to call you, they need to call me, they need to go, like, to give us, like, paint the picture of, of this space so that we can say, oh, wait, we need to look into the noise ordinance. Oh, wait, this may be an instance where we actually want to put a decibel level in the lease or... No, you know what? In your case, just make sure you're very clear with the landlord about the fact that you're going to cause noise, and I'll go through and remove all of the the noise references within the lease, and you should be okay going forward. Yeah. Because um, yeah, these are headaches that, <clears throat> God forbid, you spend all this money and you open up into the gym. In day one, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> next door goes, "What the hell was that?" When somebody drops like a a 250 pound power clean. Yeah, well, it's I mean, so the one I was looking at was uh, CrossFit Horsepower in 2018, which is Hermosa Beach, California. They were shut down. City Council voted three to zero to Mm. deem the gym a public nuisance, saying the neighbors and residents have been greatly and adversely affected by the music, use of sidewalks for exercise, dropping of weights, so on. So, I mean, like, again, it's like, who do you get? Right. Like it's, you know, uh, who's voting? Is it a city council? Is it is it going to a court of some degree? That kind of deal. But it's a, by and large, I think we'd we'd agree that it's rare that these things happen, but it's it's certainly something that's worth the few extra pen strokes on your lease to uh to you know to to break down. So at least you've been thoughtful about it and then being proactive, like you were suggesting, with any ordinances if you think it's gonna be a residential concern. Yeah let's yeah, go yeah. spend a uh, little bit of time now yeah go ahead yeah i i want to you know with lisa with everything um with the with, i've been looking at with the gym real estate company i've been trying to explain to people so i'm trying to think how the word is uh when i explained to them i said hey listen so a broker or in my case a site suitability consultant whatever it may be we have these state by state these boilerplate leases all we are allowed to do is fill in the blanks Mm-hmm. That's literally it. We cannot make changes here. I had someone be like, wait, 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 I've got to get a lawyer. If I want changes, you can't do it. I'm like, well, no. And they're like, well, why? I'm like, is that a legal document? They're like, yes. I'm like, who writes language and legal? I'm trying to like walk it back for this individual, right? And make them sure. understand. Will you talk a little bit to that tune as to, you know, the severity of like, because I've, again, I've, I've looked at leases that somebody literally typed it would be an addendum essentially to the yeah. like typed up a word document. And then there's two, there's two initials underneath you see for the landlord or whatever. Can you talk to just so everyone understands, you know, state by state, how, you know, real estate law is different in every single state, but the one thing that's a constant, 
no one other than a an attorney or a, a lawyer is able to write that legal language. Yeah, uh, and I think a lot of that just goes back around to states having individual rules for different types of professionals. Okay, and and from from my perspective, it's considered the unauthorized practice of law. Anytime somebody who is not is not an attorney within that state uh, who is then trying to hold themselves out as, you know, I'm drafting you legal language that you can now rely on. You know, if it's a if it's a broker, if it's your accountant, you know, that that's gonna that's gonna start to cause a problem um, because that individual is now, you know, like you're the broker, you're now telling your client, hey, you can legally rely on this language that I'm going to suggest. You as the broker, you may very well from your experience know what kind of language needs to be in there, but your professional rules within your state prohibit you from being able to do that, or the, the attorney's professional rules prohibit you from being able to do that, just as I can't make tax advice and have a client rely on, on the tax advice I'm going to give them because I'm not an accountant. I can't give them broker advice because broker is a certification, is, is a profession recognized within states that you are required to meet certain criteria uh, in order to call yourself a real estate agent or a broker or an accountant or an attorney. So it's really just staying in your lane um, and reducing your own liability uh, from potentially doing something that's outside of your, of your realm of expertise in order to do so. Uh, so in an effort, you know, states are kind of, you could look at it as, as protecting individuals who are professionals and saying, you're in a profession, you're, you're within your, your niche, you, you stay within your lane, and you let somebody else stay within their lane. And when we cross lanes, that's when we start to get into some issues. Yeah, it's, um, it's been interesting talking with people, you know, one of the I would simply say, hey, listen, your landlord uh, is going to pay for those broker services or those site suitability consultant services. But in reality, the, the, the honest to God truth, I, I think the client should – I like I can't think of something more impactful, like a bigger decision than signing a lease or purchasing a property. And you know, I, uh, I was having a conversation with a client. He's like, yeah, well, I mean like it's great because you don't have to pay a broker anything. I'm like, I'm like, I think that's where kind of we get this wrong. I think this is where like it's going wrong because <laughs> I've never had anyone have a stellar broker experience. Like, oh my God, this broker killed it for me. They were on right. it, they, whatever. No, because at the end of the day, you're not, yes, you have a fiduciary duty to your client if you're a broker and you, you have someone you've got to look out for them. But at the end of the day, they're not who's paying you. It's the landlord. So you start right. looking at some of these deals that brokers do, even on the tenant rep side, and anyone yeah. who's listening to this, if you have a broker and they've been in communication with other brokers and they're not CCing you or at least including you in the conversations, that's like my first like red flag. Like first red flag is once you're talking about someone, it's like brokers don't like to bring people in. Uh, it just hit just the tenant rep and then the listing agent. And those that's where the communication is. And then they both go to their separate camps, tell the landlord <laughs> what happened. Tell, And that was always just to me, it's like, God, I just feel like that whole system is just fucked. I just, it, there's, it really just crawls up my skin. It, it always seems to me that it's, it's because they have to work. Like they, they make a commission on, what like on maybe like the first month's rent or or a no like on a commercial lease you'll make a commission off the entire life of the, the lease. Entire, so yeah, if it's the a ten lease. year lease you're gonna make a six uh, you know take the rent 
schedule over 60 months and yeah. then give 3% to one broker, 3% to the other. And, and it's like 3%. And I think brokers start doing the math really fast. It's like real estate agents too. You know, They make a percentage off the sale. Yeah. So Same they're going to start yeah. doing the math really fast and determine, okay, I'm going to help a gym owner who's going to spend $3,000 a month over a five-year sure. term. You know, what is my 3% off of that? And how much work am I willing to put in this in order to make yeah. my 3%? And all of a sudden, we're at the bottom of their list. Yes, that's it. So like in that example, what Matt's laying out, let's say it's three grand a month, five-year lease, that's 60 months, that's $180,000 in total rent value. And again, that's just assuming it's always, it's three grand for the entire thing. Yeah, sure. Right. We all know there'd be some escalators in there and things like that and triple net or whatever. So that'd be at 3%, that'd be a $5,400 commission check for a broker, which 5,400 bucks isn't nothing, but for most career commercial real estate agents, that's like the laugh. That's like a laughable commission. Yeah. Right. It truly right. is like anything that's not five figures, you know, or more is kind of a laughable commission in, in the career commercial real estate agent world. And, um, but yeah, that's again, it, it just one of the examples of things I always thought was just a little bit off on that regard. Have you encountered a lot of clients that come to you looking at leases and they were broker lists? I feel like a lot of clients, uh, yeah. people I'm talk, dealing with, they're like, yeah, I didn't even know I could get a broker. I thought that cost money. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, most, most, I rarely have somebody working with a broker. That's I, so I would crazy. say like more than, I mean, like well over 50% of the people that we review leases for, there's, there's no broker involved on either side. Do you think it's because they believe it, hiring a broker would cost them money or because they just didn't know any better? I think just because they just didn't know, they don't really see the benefit in, in that kind of a service. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just, a, it's, it's like a lack of knowledge. It's like, sure, you know, they, they don't call us in order to review a lease because they don't understand the need to call us before they sign a lease. They just yeah. don't understand the benefits of having a broker assisting them with something like that. Yeah. And so I, I think that's probably why. Yeah, which is interesting because it's the other way doesn't work. The other way doesn't really happen. There's not unless you're a a landlord who also has a a life, a real estate license in that state. Most landlords are not listing their own property, right? Mm -hmm. They're gonna they're gonna bring in a broker. There's really no way to do it. However, you don't need a broker. You don't need a site suitability consultant. You technically don't need a lawyer to go and lease a property. It's just highly, highly fucking advised. Yeah. Um, and it, it, going yeah. back to like the ones that I've dealt with, it's been like, oh, I thought that cost money. I was like, yeah, but but don't you think this kind of decision is the kind of decision you want? It's like the guy who wants to get a Groupon for LASIK eye surgery. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> we, I don't think we want that BOGO vasectomy on Groupon. Like these are certain decisions we want to make, like we want to spend money on. Um, well, and where, where I get on my high horse on that is it's like, I'll, I'll talk to gym owners who will spend half a day tracking down a client for their $150 membership fee. You know, what's your effective hourly rate multiplied yeah. by those four hours, but you don't want to spend four or $500 on an attorney to look at a lease before you enter into a $180,000 agreement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like, <laughs> yeah, the, the priorities, I, they just like, I, I don't think people necessarily understand like the law. It's not an immediate thing right in front of them. They don't see a bill for $180,000. So it's just not, there's not an immediacy there. There's not an urgency yeah. there. Um, but I, I, I get on a little, little bit of a high horse like you do. Oh, yeah, on that absolutely. <laughs> Have you had to put together any documents for lease to own options within a lease? 
No, I have not. And and only recently did somebody send me. I, I received my first lease to own document. Um, and I actually went back to the gym owner and said, are you sure this was supposed to be a lease to own option? Because you kept calling it just a lease, but now you sent me a lease to own. It's my first one. I don't, I, I'm yeah. surprised I haven't encountered them more. The, the creative financing, I'm seeing a lot more in the real estate game. And it's, I, I think it's, uh, it's interesting. There's a lot of like the sub two options where um, subject to essentially, which I'm sure you're, you obviously are familiar with where a, let's say I own the commercial real estate property. The mortgage is in my name. But I I don't want to be paying this anymore. I want out. So I mm-hmm. then go ahead and I give the deed to the property. I you know someone gives me a couple gives me a, a chunk of change, um, and then they assume all my payments. Mm-hmm. But the mortgage I the mortgage is still on me. The bank right. didn't rewrite it. Like I'm still taking on that. But I've you know whatever I've created a a rock solid contract with you, and you are now you have the deed. You technically because the deed is what owns the property. I still own the debt. Yep. And yep. it's like what we call subject to. Um, so there's creative financing options like that. We're seeing a lot of, and then lease to owns. Um, the only issue, I think we're going to see them more with interest rates going up. Pre, you have, I haven't seen any in a long time because interest rates were so low. People were able to, it was, it's, it was very inexpensive to borrow money. Now yeah. it is three X is expensive to borrow money compared to for interest rates. And you know, you got to get creative with it. Maybe the owner is going to finance. If you want to purchase, going to finance X percent of it uh, type scenario, do some owner financing or in a straight up lease to own where um, in most of the ones I've seen, there's the bait, like here's the rent. And then you're going to contribute X amount of money beyond that, which goes into yeah. escrow. And then when that escrow account hits the down payment number, then we proceed with a, a sale and purchase agreement type scenario. Yeah. Is that what you were kind of, is that what you were looking at recently? Something yes, that, similar? That is that is that is it is very similar to what I was looking at. And and I think it's a fantastic idea. Um, the more information from you know you and, and and others that are telling gym owners the benefits of actually owning a building as opposed to just renting for the for the life of your gym, I think the more that, that information gets out there, the more benefit we're gonna see to these lease to own agreements. Um, because it really is it's, it's like it's like a softball to get in um it's a softball and the problem i think everyone did, i think everyone when i when i did this as a tenant there's tenants and then there's the landlords and it's us versus them mm-hmm. right and like all tenants hate their landlord and then when triple net leases got real popular <laughs> everyone really hates their landlord really but, hates landlords. <laughs> you know i was i was talking abstractly with a guy at a conference recently about how i would recommend he he organized like a lease to own um or even like let's do something uh, uh like a ti so that's one that's really if like you know a lot of gyms like nah, cheap landlord won't give any tenant improvement money to build it out it's like yeah well most of the improvements you want to make aren't capital they're not hvac plumbing and electrical it's nothing that adds immediate value it's drywall and a big ass fan and another a toilet um yeah however right. you know how much do you need and they're like well we want we need $250,000 for the buff fit i'm like okay well what if you talk to the landlord and said hey if you do 175 of it I will, whatever, you know, if you got to slap a personal guarantee on there or even commit to like, if I go out of business within five years of this lease, I'll pay you back a percentage of it. Like the landlord just wants to know that if you fuck up and go out of business, 
how much money did I just lose in building out your space? Because the odds of me leasing it out to another gym are slim and none. It's yeah. going to be another user who goes, yeah, this doesn't work for me. I need another $250,000 or $175,000 to reconfigure the space for my, my waffle <laughs> shop, right? To take it all down. <laughs> exactly. That was my biggest fear when I built out my building. I put three seventy five into the upfit, and we were so concerned when we – like, and we did it purposely for a brewery. But what if it wasn't a brewery that came in to lease it out? I was like – Oh my God, all these other use cases, nightclubs, uh, churches, other cases looked at my building and I was like, yeah, that's a good offer. But then we lose all the value we put into this building because that, that build, we've only been here seven, not even seven years at this point. Mm -hmm. So it was just one of those things where, um, you know, it, that's something everyone, if I think when these lease to own deals and when, if you're working with a lawyer like Matt and you're trying to put together something Every good deal helps everybody, but you just, as long as you put yourself in the position of how does the landlord feel like they're not going to get, you know, screwed, whether it's TI money up front or on a lease to own, what happens if you go, if this doesn't go to go the distance, right? Like the nice thing on a most lease to owns are, well, you overpaid your rent for this money going in yeah. escrow. And if you fail and you default in this, he keeps all that escrow. Yep. Right. So, I mean, there's just certain yep. things you could put in there, make it higher risk for you. But if you're asking someone else to bet on you, you better be willing to bet on you on the legal document as well, I believe. And I think another instance where that principle comes up of, of thinking about how, how you can work with a landlord in order to help this is another one that we see a lot, which is how to get out of a lease. And, and I think that's another instance in which brokers can come in and also be helpful if we're going to sort of plug the brokers a little bit. Yeah. Um, and and I'll, I'll get that quite frequently about you know, whatever reason, I, I, I need to get out of my lease. How do I get out of this lease? And, and you know, it might, it might be something just the, as innocent as we're growing and growing and growing and I need to move to a new building. How do I get out of this lease? And nine times out of 10, the, the list of suggestions that we give are ways that we are removing the burden or assisting the landlord in being able to turn over the space into somebody new. Because the more you can help the landlord fill that space quickly, or take off the financial burden to have to refill that space quickly, the more likely you are to get the landlord to allow you to just walk away from a lease. Um, but brokers can really come in there to help because brokers can help find other tenants to come in and look at the space. The brokers yeah. can help you know, ease, ease the conversation with the landlord about, you know, we're going we're gonna to leave here in five months. We're going to pay you for an additional five months. Broker is now going to go out and try to find somebody to fill the space in the next five months. Um, and if they're successful, then you get to, you know, you can walk away faster or you can walk away in five months, no problem. Um, but, you know, we don't have to be in this constant fight with the landlords. Oftentimes, if we just talk to the landlords and show the landlord the benefit or, or ease the impact on the landlord of what we're trying to do, they can be more friendly than, than, we give them initial credit for a hundred percent. And I love that suggestion you made. Um, maybe it was even when I, I called you when I was, you know, uh, conjuring up some, uh, business questions and stuff around the gym, real estate company it was like, how do I make this really attractive to a landlord to choose me a site suitability consultant over a broker and mm -hmm. most brokers, like most landlords do not have clawback clauses in the brokerage agreement. Meaning, uh, if I, if Matt has a building, I'm his broker, I bring him a gym the, and then Matt pays me my fat commission. 
Well, within two years, if that gym goes out of business, he also not only is he out maybe any TI money, he's also out that commission. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, one of the things we're doing is like if we have a, a landlord a little hesitant to, to, you know, to work with us or work with the tenant, we'll provide a clawback clause maybe for that landlord so they know, oh, he's bringing, if, you know, if he brings me a tenant and his tenant dies out in three years out of a 10 year lease, I have a way to recoup some money. Now, on that same thing, have you done any good guy guarantees in leases? Um, no. You're talking, you're talking on to get somebody else to come in and, and help with the personal guarantee. Yeah, well, so it, the, the only time I've seen them, and I'm, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I've not seen many landlords. I've, I've actually can twice I've heard of this. One of them I was a part of, one of them I just heard of, uh, you know, third party. You know, uh, a, there's a personal guarantee where you are personally liable for the LLC's commitment to this place. So if the LLC goes yep. out of business, guys, you now personally are liable for the yep. remaining terminalities. But a good guy guarantee or a good guy clause is it's a guarantee that maintains that if a tenant is unable to pay the rent, they will give their landlord some level of notice. And it's generally, you know, some 90, 120 days, whatever it is, or up to three, whatever it is. And they vacate the space. So they give notice, they vacate the space. And then they are relieved of the remaining of their tenant debt or their tenant obligation. So essentially, a good guy guarantee or good guy clause, good guy guarantee. I've actually never seen that. Yeah. So I mean, like anyone's listening, like Google the difference between a personal guarantee and a good guy. And again, the good guy being the landlord being the good guy in this scenario, which is probably why you haven't (laughs) you haven't seen many of them because they're all. I I thought you were talking about where. You get somebody else to come in and sign the personal guarantee on behalf of the individual. You like a oh, an assignment of the PG kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Right. So you one hundred percent like you have someone come in and step in and be like, "Hey, uh, I'm out. This guy's this guy is in. He is going to you know, can I assign my PG or even assign the lease? And that's another mm-hmm. interesting one is lease assignment, the right to assign a lease with landlord approval. Because at the end of the day, landlord's like, "All right, you're going out of business." Well, what's this? Well, who do you want to bring in? Like, there's this other gym looking to buy me out. They've been in business longer than me. They figured it out. I, I unfortunately, Mr. Landlord, didn't have it figured out. I would like for them to purchase my business. Um, and but they can't purchase the lease because Jim One LLC that signed the lease, that's a legal agreement between Jim One and the landlord. If Jim right. Two LLC comes in to buy Jim One, he doesn't get the he's not on that lease. So right. you'd still have to assign right. it. To you know, when you have A and M's, these acquisition and mergers, you still have got to assign it to the purchaser, right? Yeah, we we that's a that's a, a big conversation we have to have with gym owners who are looking to sell because there's all kinds of nuances when we're coming when we're talking about assigning and subleasing. Um, the biggest concern is all right, your gym one, you're currently in the space, but you're for whatever reason you want to sell and get out. Okay, um, I'm. LLC number two coming in, first and foremost, you know, we get we get confusion around, well, are you selling your LLC or are you selling the assets of your LLC? In our business, nine times out of 10, we're only selling the assets. Okay. You're not selling me your LLC. All right. So that being understood, I'm now coming in and buying your assets. In an ideal world, I'm just going to kind of slide into that gym. Everything's already set up, space is already there, and I'm just going to take it over and build it and make my money off of it, and you get to walk away. Um, 
So the, the, the issue that we run into there is on a true nature of an assignment, you, business number one, will still maintain liability on that lease for the remainder of the lease term. And so, yeah, you're getting out, you're selling your assets, you're going to walk away. But now if I come in as, as number two, and we only did an assignment of the lease, and now I start to have trouble, guess what? You can be pulled back in as kind of like a personal guarantee, but don't get it too confused. I'm just using that as sort of a, but basically you can be pulled back in under liability to make sure that I've essentially paid the rent as gem number two. Is, is that is that a clear enough example? I, no, um, I, th- I think so. I think it, it sound, it's very much like that subject too, right? The 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 original owner it still has the mortgage with the bank, still owns yeah. owes the debt. They're just yeah. giving the deed. Where in that scenario, which is you know, whenever I see a, a one gym buy another, it's it's sure it's it's a, you're purchasing the assets. And then, but you need to make sure that the landlord's good with you coming in and us taking over that lease. Because if they're transfer. not, yes, we, the tra- we, the we lease transfer. transfer the lease. Yeah. Yep. Um, and those are things that we'll start with in the letter of intent between buyer and seller, that that's a condition on the sale. And that's something that we'll put in the asset purchase agreement as well. That it's a condition on the sale that you have to, that that buyer has to get the lease transferred. And if they don't, then you as the seller, you're allowed to walk away and, and, and find another buyer. Um, and, and so th- those are conditions that we put in there very specifically. I don't do a lot of like valuations of business. I'll generally outsource that to, you know, I've got a couple of people that I, I like for that stuff. But one thing I'll, I'll look at with numbers preliminary, and I'll, let's say a gym wants to sell their gym to someone else, but the gym financially isn't worth it. it just It's not a good business. However, they just signed an eight-year extension at a below fair – they got a crazy great lease deal. I'm like, this is really the only thing of value you have right now because if the guy who's buying you has to go to the market and find a new location, he'll never get this rate. So – and your landlord could be – your most landlords in this scenario like, um, okay, we can transfer, but we're we're rewriting a new lease at a new rate or whatever it may be. Right. However, the landlord probably also doesn't want to be out of a tenant. Like he's a, he like mm-hmm. every landlord fears that email. And I like, hey man, I'm closing up shop. I'm sorry. Yep. Like, what do yep. we do next? Like, we all fear that that email. So this is an easy transition. You've got a little leverage as the gym owner. Like, man, it, it, before if you think as a gym owner right now, you think you're going to have to close up shop and sell. You think you have a buyer. I would be looking and seeing what kind of deal can I work with my land? Don't sign it yet. Cause I don't want you to sign an extension on a lease that you're about. And you think you're about to go out of business, but like, <laughs> man, would my landlord be willing to give me a really nice extension at this below fair market value on my lease? If you have the conversation with him and it seems like it's a yes. And then you go into the market and you look for a buyer again, if all, if all the worlds collide at the perfect angle, the perfect time, you might add value to your non-valuable gym. Right, because you because of this lease deal. Yeah, yeah, they do have some power, and something like that is going to come into effect for me, depending on which side of the the buy sell I'm I'm representing. Sure, yeah, so, yeah. So if we've got the seller, then I don't I don't care what I don't care what happens to the lease. I just want you as the seller getting out from under the lease. We're not yes. assigning it. We're not subleasing it. If I'm representing the buyer, it's like. Well, we got to be careful because they they've got a ten year lease here on a, on on a really nice rent below fair market. You don't want the landlord to terminate and re sign that lease because they're going to jack the price up. Yeah. Um, 
That can also, though, be an incentive to the seller to say to the landlord, don't assign this, break it, because if you break it, you can jump this up to fair market and lets me out of my lease a little bit. Yeah. So there's 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 gives and takes there that we can play based on on who we're representing in that. Um, and, and just to stick with assignments, though, for a second, I'd, I'd like your take on this. I despise when a landlord sticks in there that it is considered an assignment if the tenant, the LLC, sells more than, say, 25, 33, 50% of the percent of it, yeah. to, to, a, to a partner. I, that, oh, I yeah. like, I like redline that. I like jump up and down in my chair. Like I get so angry. Like, <laughs> I, I get back to, I get back to my client. I'm like, it is none of the business of the landlord of what you plan to do with your business. The only concern sure. of the landlord is that they get paid on a month to month basis. Yeah. And now so I see your take on that. Cause I get uh, well, so angry. <laughs> I have a very, very real life example. So the brewery in my building right now is taking on a new investor. There gets some, okay. uh, someone's coming in and it is going to um, dilute the gentleman that I started with that signed the lead that, you know, was the majority owner of the company. Mm-hmm. There's a couple mm-hmm. owners mm-hmm. in there. It's going to dilute his ownership. And so we've okay. the conversation we've been having now is, well, how much is going to dilute it? Because again, if you're a landlord like me, I, that was very much a transact. It was very much, um, it was transactional. The money was there obviously, but it was, I, I really liked this individual, got to know him, had went and had dinners. Okay. Like I I'm invested in this individual. If the, yeah. if someone new comes into ownership and I, we don't get a law or we don't have a good mix and relationship there. I mean, I'm, I'm in a 10 year relationship with these guys. So right. it's like, okay. you know, so I, I get, it. it's like the new daddy comes in and I've got to deal with new daddy. And I'm just like, I don't want to, I mean, like, yes, if I get my rent check, great. But it's the reason you want to like your tenant or like your landlord is for when the rent check That's doesn't happen. Yeah. Right, I right. tell everyone like, put your lease in your partnership agreement with your business partner in a drawer. The day you have to pull it back out is probably not a good day. If you're ever like, oh, yeah. I need to go and review what it says about that. Yeah, there's, yeah, yeah, no. there's trouble brewing <laughs> already. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, uh, fine. That's why I don't represent landlords. I'll, I'll continue to jump up and down get, in my chair. I, but I get, I, under, I understand where you're coming from on that. But, but I do, I think it's something like as long as the original, you'd, you'd have to come up with some kind of a transfer or something in there. Or But like, you know, if the original person signing this is holding the PG, I obviously don't want the guy with 10% of the company holding the personal guarantee. Yeah. 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 I get, I get that too. I get that too. You don't want to then get stuck, not, not guaranteeing. Yeah. Yeah. Have you done any, um, one thing I, and I'm really hoping to be sending people your way a lot on this next one here soon is, you know, my, my goal is to get gym owners in a position to be able to buy buildings. We're going to lease them, but I also want to get them in the position to purchase. And a lot of them are going to need to partner with a cash partner, someone to come up with down payment money, things like that. And then Mm -hmm. that's where um, I get to have a lot of fun in the creativity of kind of outlining what I believe the partnership agreement deal. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of gym owners like the building was a million and I didn't put in any money whatsoever. But my investor put in the $100,000, which is the 10% down with the SBA 504 yep. loan. Like, and I'm able to structure like this is where I think your value is instantly versus, you know, how you should vest over the years. And how do we get you to a 50-50 if we're able to get you to 50? What does that look like? Have you done any real estate partnership uh, agreements recently? Um, no, but one is on the horizon. Yeah. 
Yeah. It's, uh, be, because we don't deal with a lot of gym owners who are looking to purchase. Sure. Um, but investors are becoming more and more of a popular phone call that I'm getting. Yeah. And we just recently got the first one about the potential of getting a, a, an investor to come in and help buy the property. Awesome. Um, and it, it's, there's a million ways to structure this. <laughs> there is. <laughs> it, it's tough, but it, I, I tell the gym owner and, um, if you like, again, if you're a gym owner and you're having someone come in with the cash and you're really not contributing a lot of cash to the deal, try to do that SBA 504 because mm -hmm. the beauty there is that investor doesn't maybe necessarily need you, especially if they do commercial real estate investing. They yeah. would go buy a building. They would pay 30% down at a traditional bank loan. But with you as the SBA, because now he has access to a loan product he can't get as an investor. Mm -hmm. So the you can get an SBA 504 loan, Mr. Gym Owner, even if you partner with this guy who's an investor. You guys create your real estate company, Holdco, right? And the Holdco and your gym are going to together, then you're applying for this SBA 504 loan, but they're doing it off the basis of your small business because you're going to occupy. Gym. Yeah. But yeah. now you just earned 20 points, in my opinion, because otherwise, Mr. Investor would have had to take 30% of his liquidity and put it in a down payment. But now he only has to put 10% because you were able to get access to an SBA 504 loan. I think you're good for an instant vesting at 20%. And I think that's yeah. a very strong argument. And then if it's a investor that's a little altruistic, he in his head is like, well, I don't have to go to market and find a tenant. I don't have to pay any broker's commissions. And I, I have a tenant that is actually reliable. I mean, a lot of people realize you buy an investment property, you could spend over a year, two years trying to find a tenant, right? Yeah. You, this one came batteries included. So yeah. sign a 10-year lease, which is what the SBA 504 is going to require, and do a deal. Every year I successfully pay, I want an additional 2% or 3% mm -hmm. over 10 years. That's 10 years that, oh, that that investor doesn't have to worry about the gym, you know, because again, if as long as it's a trusted relationship or something there. Sure. But there's yeah. a lot of options on how to structure those deals that still get the gym owner in an ownership position without cash out of pocket. Right. And from my perspective, my primary plug on that is just make sure you get it in writing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> like like one, once you figure out how how you gym owner or working with with you, Stuart, or, or anybody else, once you figure out how you're going to do it, just please get it in writing. Like call us to put it in writing because that, yes. you know, that's that's the other really annoying conversation that I have on a week to week basis is we have this problem. Well, great. Where's the governing document? We don't have one. Or I got this one the other the, over the weekend. Um, we got it off Chat GPT. Oh like, yes, oh, oh, oh. GPT <laughs> the the partnership agreement. I don't, I, don't, oh. I don't have time to go into this right now, uh, but <laughs> yeah. Um, so please, just, just that's crazy. Just, just just have it put it in writing because you're going to have problems. And you need to have something yeah. in writing. Here's a recommendation I make to people. I'd love to know your opinion on it, whether you, you agree with it or not. So they're like, well, so how do we do this? Do we each get our own lawyer? I'm like, let me, you can. I think you guys can each get your own lawyer. Like the gym ownership, you know, call Matt, do that. And maybe the investor is going to, probably has his own lawyer also as well. Yeah. Maybe, but yeah. maybe this could be his first four way into commercial real estate, you know? So maybe right. he doesn't have that, like a real estate contract guy. But what we did, um, me and my business partner, we went to uh, we went to one firm, and we just used different lawyers at the firm. Like mm. we were, you know, real estate partnerships are not 
they're complicated at first, especially with equity. If the gym owner is not putting anything in, it's real easy. Uh, mine is real easy because we both put in 50-50. So super yeah. easy. And these partnerships are not headaches because there's just not a lot to to argue about in a, in a partnership agreement for a real estate company versus a gym that has day-to-day sure. operations that create plenty of arguments. Um, yep. But yeah, I always recommend that people make, you could go separate lawyers. I feel like that's going to definitely increase timeline, duration, red lines back and forth versus like going to one firm and having two separate lawyers sit you down and like everyone kind of talks like, what, what what's your recommendation there? Like if the investor and the gym owner are friendly or friends or something, but they still want to have proper, uh, you know, representation for each of them. Do you recommend just go separate yeah. lawyers? Um, if it's going to, if they're concerned that it's going to be that sort of contentious, but not like contentious, but just like that specific. Yes. I will suggest two different lawyers. Okay. I don't know a lot of firms that are willing to put up and I don't know if you can call it this anymore. When I was in law school, we called it a Chinese wall. I don't know if you're, I don't, I don't know if they call like it dual, that. Is that like dual agency or dual represent? Uh, like it, it, it basically means you go into one law firm and you get two lawyers from the same law firm, but they have to separate themselves so much that you put up this wall. Chinese wall, yeah, yeah. So that, yeah, so there's no communication going back and forth between the, the like, secretaries can't share information, you can't share client information, anything like that. Um, and it can be done, it's just difficult to do. If, if a partnership like that comes to me and says, we don't want to go out and get other attorneys, how do we do this? I will basically say, look, I represent the LLC, I can talk to both of you together at the same time about the pros and cons of this decision and how it's going to impact both of you. You're ultimately going to make the decision. You're just going to tell me what the decision is. And I'm going to put that forth in the, in in the, the, the unbiased document that's going to govern this. Yeah. Um, You can do that. It's just, you can't, I can't give one side advice against the other side. And if you want that, then it's best to get your own separate attorneys. Yeah. That's like brokers that do dual dual agency where they represent the seller and the buyer. And yeah. uh, and I don't know how you have fiduciary duties to those two humans and do both. Like it makes zero sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, you, you can't. You can't. You can't you zealously can't. advocate for each side against the other side. That's, That's called a conflict of interest. Correct. <laughs> and like it's always, it's always the brand new like shopping center. Gym owner is interested. He contacts the listing agent and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we could totally build the suit your thing. No, yeah, absolutely. We'd love to have you in here. And they're like, do you have a broker? And the gym was like, yeah. no. Like, well, we can represent you. Oh, they're like, awesome, great. This guy's yeah. my friend. Like, no, he also represents the landlord. And trust me, he likes that landlord way more than he likes you. Because the <laughs> landlord's gonna, you know, hire him to lease out all the spaces in this Get plaza. Yeah. Right. So it's it's crazy. Right. Um hey, I gotta hop, yeah. I gotta I gotta go. I wanna pl- um, pl- Matt, let people know where where they can get a hold of you if they have some kind of lease issue, partnership agreement issue, contracts, memberships, anything like that, legal doc wise. Yeah, best place is just to go to the the website gymlawyers.com, G-Y-M-L-A-W-Y-E-R-S, gymlawyers.com. There's multiple calls to action. If you submit a, a request form, you're going to instantly get my scheduler. My cell phone's on the website. My email's on the website. Like That's that's the easiest way to get a hold of me is just, I know it's like, kick them to the website. Just go sure. to the website because all of my personal information's there. That's awesome. how to get a hold of me. Matt, it is, as always, it's a pleasure, brother. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. I always appreciate it, Stuart. Awesome, brother. Take care.